Please be seated. Good to be with you today. This is sort of a part two, but not exactly a part two of what I did last week. Last week I talked about learning by example. So today I want to talk about an example of learning by example. And here's a quick recap from last Sunday. Babies can teach us a great deal about how we can learn and grow as a disciple. Babies and toddlers, and even those of us as adults, but it's more obvious in babies and toddlers, they learn by imitating what they see around them. They imitate first their parents, their siblings if they have them, and that's how they learn the appropriate way to react and respond and think about life. We are to grow as disciples, and God encourages us to grow as disciples by imitating him. We are to imitate God. It says that in Ephesians 5.1, be ye imitators of God. However, God is invisible. And although we can learn about God and his ways through his word, we cannot see him. So we can't imitate the same way Noah imitates Andrew. We can't do it like that because we can't see God. So God is invisible. That makes direct observation of God impossible. But we're still told to imitate God. Because how are we going to do that? Jesus Christ was quite visible, easily seen while he walked the earth. He showed us what it looks like to live like God. What does it look like to live not simply in accordance with God's word, but to live like God? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Interesting statement. It's got to be figurative because God's invisible, right? So when he says he who has seen me has seen the Father, he is speaking in terms of reflecting what God would be and do. That's why it says Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Now, how can you be an image, a reflection of something that's invisible? Jesus Christ was the word of God made flesh. He reflected back for us the very heart of God. However, Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of God. So he's not here for us to directly observe. Now he can, and it's historically, he can appear at times, but that is very rare. What we have to imitate Christ is a recording of a very small portion of what he taught, a very small portion of what he did, and it reveals to us how he did it as well. But we don't have direct access to seeing Jesus today. So we want to imitate God. He's invisible. Jesus was visible, but he's not present. He's revealed through the word, but he's not present. With the scriptures, we have the information we need to imitate God. And with the spirit that we've been given, we have the enablements. We have the power to be able to imitate God. But we don't have God or Christ as a direct example to observe. Have you ever heard the saying, one picture is worth a thousand words? It's not in the Bible. (laughs) But but it, it is true. You know, sometimes people attribute sayings that are just common. They attribute it to the Bible. One of my aunts said, well, you know, as, as 
the good book says God helps those who helps themselves. I said, no, Aunt Eileen. He didn't say that. Benjamin Franklin said that. Nice, nice saying, nice sentiment, but it wasn't God. So we've got words. We've got more than a thousand words of God. And these words are true. And even though God is invisible and Jesus is in heaven, what we do have to observe is each other. Fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We are very observable. And you know something? When you are living the word, we don't think about this. You might think that this is like being prideful. But if you are living God's word, when I am looking at you, when I see you, I'm seeing Christ and I'm seeing the Father. Because that's, that's, that's how they would reflect. Now, one of the very visible sets of examples that we can observe that are easily observable are leaders within the church. And this is something that God specifically draws our attention to, to imitate. Paul, on more than one occasion, talks about imitating him. And this isn't because Paul had this gigantic ego. Quite the opposite. He was a very humble man. He said he was chief among sinners before he came to Christ. He was a very humble man. And yet he says, imitate me. Look what it's, it's in 1 Corinthians, well, it's in a few places, but 1 Corinthians 4 verse 16 is what I want to look at. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Verse 17, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Timothy was going to remind them. That meant they'd already observed it, right? When Paul was with them, they observed his ways. Timothy's going to come back to remind them of his ways, to remind them of the example that he set for them of what it means to live like Christ, what it means to imitate God. And to imitate, when when you are imitating someone, that means you are using them as a template. You're using them as a role model. That's a term we've seen we still use today quite frequently, to have a role model. Paul was an excellent role, mo- role model for what it meant to live like Christ. Here in the 21st century, we can still apply this method to learn from leaders within the body of Christ. Look at Hebrews thirteen seventeen. It says, remember your leaders, not just their names, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. The reason you're going to imitate someone is because you desire the same outcome in your life that they're experiencing. And how do you do this? You imitate their faith. We are going to imitate their faith. And the outcome of my life the outcome of other Christian men and women, the outcome of their lives is not due to any great ability they have on their own. It's due to Christ. It's due to the faith that we have in Christ. So what is faith and how do I imitate it? Because if, if I'm going to apply this verse 7 of Hebrews 13, I've got to know what he's talking about. These have got to be words that I can connect to my heart, to my life, to my actions. I want to start with the word imitate. 
What does it mean to imitate? And again, when we talk about what, when the Bible uses the word, how is the Bible using the word? I'm not interested in how our culture uses a word. I'm interested in how God uses it in the scriptures because the scriptures are God-breathed. The word, as I said, to imitate means to use something as a model. It means to use something as a template. The faith that we see in our leaders gives us a model that we can follow or imitate as we go about our own Christian walk. And again, children do this. They imitate. You know, when when Noah sees Lauren's face, okay, so maybe Noah does something that he's not supposed to do, and he sees a particular look on Lauren's face, well, you know what? He understands. He understands that that what that look means on mommy's face. He understands that. But you know what else? He knows how to then use that same look when he is displeased about something. You ever notice that? So not only has he recognized what this means in mom, he has internalized what this projects and uses it like that. You know, that is an amazing feat of learning for little kids to do, for little minds to do. Toddlers can recognize facial expressions and when they should be used. But we're not... Hebrews 13 isn't talking about imitating our facial expressions. It's imitating faith. It's using the faith as a model. So what is faith and how do I imitate it? How can I mimic, use as a template the faith that another man or woman has? Again, in the Bible, we want to look at what is the Bible talking about when it uses the word faith? Because faith is a word in English that people use all the time. What does faith mean when God uses it? In the Bible, by the way, first of all, the word faith and the word believe in the Bible mean the same thing. One is a verb, one is a noun. That's the only difference between the two. But they mean the same thing. And what they mean is to trust someone or something to the point that you change your mind and your behavior. That's what faith is. If you're not willing to change your mind and your behavior, it's not faith. It might be an idea, it might be a supposition, it might be opinions, but it's not faith. So let's limit faith to what God is talking about. Both of these words, faith and belief, and we'll see them both this morning, mean to trust. Keeping in mind that faith means to trust information. Because what can I say? If I say that I trust Gilbert. Well, what does that mean? It means I trust something Gilbert has said to me. That's what that means. So if you're trusting God, that, that, that means you are trusting something that he said and that you are using what he said as an example of truth. And Hebrews 11 gives us a description of faith. Some people say it gives a definition of faith. It really doesn't. The definition of faith is trust. That's what the definition of it is. This is what it looks like when you're doing that. Hebrews 11.1, this is from the New Living Translation. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. When, When you pray for something, well, you don't see the answer right in front of you or you wouldn't be praying for it, you would be enjoying it. So you don't have, so you, therefore you pray. You have a need so that you pray. 
Because God has said something about prayer, you have an assurance that he will answer it. You have a confidence that even though you, haven't, you don't see it yet, you will see it because God has made a promise. Hope always deals with the future. Always. Hope is always looking forward. We all hope for particular outcomes in our lives. The question is, what is your hope based on? Is your hope based on wishful thinking? I hope I win the lottery. That would really solve a lot of problems. I hope I win the lottery. Unlikely since I don't buy lottery tickets. That would be wishful thinking. Other hopes can be based on past experiences. I hope the Cubs win the World Series. Of course, that could also be categorized under wishful thinking, but you get the idea. Past experiences, wishful thinking. In the Bible... Both faith and hope are based on something that God has said. Faith and hope are based on something God has said. We don't make it up. He gives us the things to look for, the things to dream for. All faith faith is based on information. And we value information based on its source. We do this all the time. We always filter information based on its source. We're coming into a political season. So candidate A is going to say that candidate B is a crook. Happens all the time, and we take that with a ginormous grain of salt, right? But then what happens a couple of weeks later? A grand jury votes to indict candidate B. And they say, you know what? Candidate B is a crook. Okay, same information, right? But you think about it a little differently. Finally, six months later, the trial is finished, the jury convicts candidate B, and they say candidate B is a crook. Again, the same information all three times, but you treat it differently. You treat it differently based on its source. The source of our faith and what we hope for is God's word, which is reliable, much more. Now, you meet people every day whose word that you rely on, right? People have a certain level of trust that you extend to them based on your past experience. God is rock solid when it comes to being able to trust him. And when you talk about faith, faith is not a Christian word, okay? In the Bible, faith is not an exclusively Christian word. In fact, everybody on earth lives by faith. Everybody, because everybody on earth trusts something or someone, and that's what they base their lives upon. What, it, what happens is not all faith that people have, even Christians, is based on something that God has said. And when you base your faith on something that God has said, if you trust what God has said, then things happen. They don't happen by, you know why th- when you believe God, good things happen? Because when you believe God, which occurs in your heart, God knows that, right? And when you believe him, he moves to bring to pass in your life his will. Faith works because that's how God responds. Faith works because of God, not because of us. What our hope for, what our hope should be, is something based on what God has said. And people, again, they base their faith on a lot of things. What is your faith grounded in? Some people ground their faith in the horoscope. 
There are lots of people around the world who read and try to live by the horrible scopes. Some people base their faith on the Wall Street Journal. Some people might base what they believe and trust on what their kindergarten teachers told them. No matter what it is, you're trusting something or someone as you go about your life. I am interested in faith and hope that is grounded in something God has said. This is why in Romans 10, 17, it tells us how you can get biblical faith. So then faith comes or is introduced by hearing and hearing by the word of God. All faith comes by hearing. If I tell you that I'm going to meet you for lunch at Walker Brothers Pancake House, I have given you information. You've heard it. If you believe it, you'll be at Walker Brothers Pancake House. If you don't believe it, you'll be in bed. So all faith comes by hearing. But not, all, not everything you hear is from the Word of God. Biblical faith starts with God saying something. And today the word faith is a little vague. It's used very differently in our culture than God uses it in His Word. In His Word, faith is something solid and tangible based on what God has said. We often use the word faith to describe believing something without proof. You have to have faith. And they look, well, just believe it without proof. That's not what the Bible says. When I believe something that God has said, I have plenty of proof that God is true. I have plenty. I have it within me. You heard today the manifestations of Holy Spirit. You saw God's power in action. What God says is true, and he backs it up with power. In the Bible, faith always refers to some, believing something that God has said. And we choose to believe things that God has said. We're not forced to do it. And once we do, we have the assurance that it's going to come to pass in our lives. So I want to go back to, remember, I had a title for the teaching, which is an example of living by example. And I want to circle back to that. We want to imitate the faith of the leaders within the church. So what exactly does that look like? How am I going to go about imitating that? Faith is not just an opinion or a thought. It may start there, but that's not the finish line. Look at James 1.22. Again, we're, we're kind of still digging down about faith here and what it's going to look like in people. It says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. You know, when people are delusional, they get sent to psychiatric hospitals. Many Christians have deluded themselves. They live a life with a knowledge of the Bible, but they don't adjust their lives to that knowledge. They're comfortable in their knowledge, but they've never turned it into a life. They don't trust or believe that knowledge, because if you believed what God said, you would adjust your life to live that way. Look what it says in James chapter 2. He gets a little more emphatic here. We're going to look at two verses, one at the start and one at the end of this section. James 2.14, it starts with a rhetorical question. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. What good is it? No good claiming to have faith. I've met many people who claim to have faith in God, but they don't adjust their lives to his word. Look at verse 26 of this same section. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds 
is dead. We change the way we think and live based on what God says. My fa- I have my, a favorite all-time description of faith. And the word faith isn't even used in it. But you'll see that it is a classic, pithy, short description of faith. It's from Mary, Jesus' mother. The setup is the wedding feast at Cana. Jesus went to this wedding feast along with most of the community, his disciples, his mom, his brethren, and they had a big bash of a wedding reception and ran out of wine. So that would, make, that would be problematic for a wedding reception, wouldn't it? So Mary has a little conversation with Jesus about this. And when she finishes her conversation with Jesus, she turns to the servants, those who were serving the wine, and he gives what I consider to be the best description of faith. It's in John 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. That's faith. Do whatever he tells you. Don't audition it. Don't modify it. Like Nike says, just do it. Whatever he tells you, do it. That's faith. Faith is not nodding your head in agreement. Though that's nice if you want to nod your head in agreement. It's changing how you think and how you act. And what faith really comes down to, according to what Mary said, is obedience. Obedience to something that God has said. Now, obedience is a misunderstood word today. And most people don't like the word obedience because it's almost always used in a negative fashion. You being forced to do something that you don't want to do. That's how most people look at the word obedience. That's not what it means in the Bible. It's not at all what it means. Obedience in the Bible is simply paying attention to what you hear. In fact, in Greek, it's built on the word or the verb to hear. You hear something and you do it. That's obedience. Now, Depending on the context, the obedience can be forced. When the Roman soldiers made Simon of Cyrene carry Jesus' cross, that was forced obedience. He had heard it, they forced him to do it. But how about the apostles? Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes. And they did what? They chose to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Was that obedience? Yes. Was it forced? No. Faith is not forced. Obedience is not forced. If you go to the doctor and he prescribes for you antibiotics, if you take them, you're being obedient. But we don't usually talk that way. But when you think about it in a biblical context, the way God uses words, that's what you did. You obeyed the doctor. You heard what he said. You carried it out. You hear something God says, you carry it out. That is obedience. Take a look at Romans chapter 16. We're going to read from 25 and 26 here. It says, Now to him, God, who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ. Now, why is he proclaiming this message? There's a lot of good immaterial between there. But at the end of the sentence, this is why he's proclaiming. So that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. Faith, when you actually believe something that God has said, it issues in obedience. It issues in carrying out what he says. Paul is not talking here that the Gentiles will be forced to do something for God. That's not the point. 
he's talking to them about voluntarily choosing to act on what they heard from God. So when you have faith, you obey. Okay, let's return to growing as a disciple. That's our theme for the year here. One way that you can grow as a disciple is to imitate the faith of those who lead in the church. It doesn't say you imitate their mannerisms, their dietary choices, their political opinions, sports teams. Those may or may not be beneficial, but they don't help you grow as a disciple. We want to imitate their faith. Imitate how they take Mary's advice. Whatever he tells you, do it. How do your leaders do that? And I want to give you an example from three of us who you see a lot. You're up front here. You see Garrett a lot up front. You see me a lot up front. You see Jess a lot up front. Okay, so you have leaders that you can, uh, that you can see. So what are you going to imitate in this area? There, there are obvious things that you can imitate. You can imitate that we pray. Okay, prayer is a good thing. You can imitate, okay, these people in their walk, you see that they operate the power of the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues, they interpret, they prophesy. The Bible says, pray for the sick. These people I know pray for the sick. I've seen them pray for the sick. These are things in their lives. Now, why would you want to imitate their faith in these areas? Because of the outcome of their lives. Because you see that their lives are blessed that they have joy. And this is what they are doing. They are obeying certain things that God says and it's issuing in a life that you or I might want for ourselves. All these things that we do are the result of faith, something that we believe that God has said. Imitating these things, and of course imitating the heart behind them, helps you to grow as a disciple. That you look at somebody, you don't just say, isn't it nice that Steve Carter can speak in tongues and interpret? Well, yeah, it is. But we want to look at it and say, I can do that also. That's an example of something that I can do. All those things that I just mentioned, praying, manifesting Holy Spirit, these are things that you can see. I want to help you to imitate something that is not quite as visible to your eyes but something that you see all of us talk about. I want you to imitate our conviction and our expectation that God speaks to his people today, that God speaks to each one of you individually, and he will converse directly with you about his business. We expect this not because we just like it to be so, we expect it because God has said something about talking to you. And let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to begin reading in verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. We know that we have the Spirit. Okay, We know that we, have, as Christians we have been born again of God's Spirit. And along with that is the ability to manifest that Spirit. To show it forth. To operate it. How are we going to do that? Next few verses tell us. Verse 8. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. Verse 9. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. 
to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. Okay, so these are all things that God has said. Bob didn't make this up. God said this. You can therefore observe these things in other people, in your leaders, in other Christians, and you can push yourself and set before yourself the idea that I can do that as well. Now, three of these are God talking to you. A message of knowledge brings information. A message of wisdom shows you what to do in a certain situation. And then distinguishing between spirits is simply being able to recognize God showing you what's going on in the spiritual realm. And you can take these things and you can decide, I can do these because God has said that I can do them. When it comes to the manifestation of the Spirit... You can see when your leaders and other Christians speak in tongues, interpret, and prophesy. You can't see us receiving revelation. You don't see that. God could be talking to Linda right now. I don't see that. But I know that Linda believes that because that's how she talks. So I want to explain a little bit about how you can imitate what your leaders are doing that allows them to hear from God clearly. And the first step is you believe that God's going to do this. God has said he's going to do it. He's promised he's going to do it. He's made it available in a very declarative fashion. So expect it. As you go about your life, expect that God will talk to you. Don't be surprised by that. So if you're going to hear from God, if you're going to receive revelation, it starts with your expectation that God still talks. But then I want it to get personal, okay? You want to have the expectation, a hope, like it said in uh, Hebrews 11.1, a hope that God is going to speak individually to you. Not just that God still speaks today. Okay, that's fine. He does still speak today. God's going to speak to me. We expect it because God has promised it. But how does God talk? How is revelation received? This is a question that people have. So I want to explain to you what it is you're seeing when we are talking about God speaking to us. Now, your brains were designed to process and receive information by the way of the five senses. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching or feeling. Those are the ways that God designed your brain to process and receive information. So when God is giving Revelation, when God is showing you something, expect that he is going to symbolize it as seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, or touching. And a final way that, in fact, this is actually the most common way that I have seen God work within me, is he introduces a thought into your mind. He just introduces a thought into your mind. It says in the Gospels that Jesus knew within himself that power had gone out of it. God just places a thought within your mind. Many times Christians call this an impression. That's fine. You want to call it that or a thought, an idea. Now, why does God speak? It's not been my experience that God engages in chit-chat. You know, talking to me about what I want on my pizza tonight. You know, when God, God speaks to you about his business... If you will be about God's business, you'll hear from him a lot. If you're going to be about your own business, you don't need to hear from God. You're about your own business. 
So since God is going to deal with his business, don't bother asking God for stock tips so you can make a fortune and stop working. You know, since God encourages us to work, he's not going to give you information to get you to stop working. That's not the way he does it. God can speak and will speak to you at likely times when you're praying, say. And he can speak to you at unlikely times in the grocery store. God can talk to you at any particular moment because he's always there. God answers your prayers. Sometimes when you pray, you're not looking for a certain activity to happen. You're looking for God to give you wisdom, right? I have noticed in my life anyway, that often I will pray for wisdom and I just keep, I just lay that before the Father and at some other time, God brings it to my attention and shows me what I'm supposed to do. Here's another thing about Revelation. Revelation is never going to contradict God's written word. God has given scriptures. So, if a thought pops in your head to pay your rent by robbing a 7-Eleven, that thought did not pop in there from God. Because he's not going to tell you to do something that goes against his word. So I want you to leave here this morning. Why don't we have uh, Isaac and Jess and Glenn to come on up. They're going to close us with a song. But I want you to leave here this morning imitating our faith in hearing from God. Faith that God is going to speak to you. When you leave here today, as you go about your day, have an expectation that he will speak. Many times we miss what God is saying because we're not paying attention. Now, what, and I'll show you how this works. Afterwards, when we're all talking around uh, and eating and talking, there'll be conversations. People are talking, say, Eric's talking over there. I can sort of hear his voice, but I'm not paying attention to it, so I can't tell you what he's saying. I want to learn how to pay attention to God, to filter him out from everything else. God has promised to speak to you. You need information from God in order to succeed in life. Expect that he will direct your steps. And then once he does, I want you to do what Mary told the servants to do. Whatever he tells you, do it. Okay? Why don't we stand up? We're going to pray together, and then Jess and company are going to uh, bless us with a song. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that you are a God who is real, that you are alive, that you are within us, that you love us, that you are our Father. And like any loving Father, you talk to your kids. And I pray, Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ, to make your ways known to each of us in this room. I pray, Father, that anyone in here who has any kind of nervousness about hearing your voice, that they can have that nervousness replaced with peace. I pray, God, that during this day and during this week, you will speak to each of us in ways that we can recognize, rejoice in, and follow. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you.